Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. Now bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners or associates. Now bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is his slave servant and his messenger. I'd like to begin this evening in this our twelfth lecture in our series of the Al-Aqid al-Islamiyyah, the Islamic Creed, from the essay of Al-Imam Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Qudama rahimahullah, his essay entitled uh, لمعة الاعتقاد الحادي إلى سبيل الرشاد Before beginning with the points under discussion this evening quickly we'd like to review the point which we covered in the last lecture that is point number 39 until 42 from the chapter entitled رؤية المؤمنين لربهم يوم القيامة that is the ru'ya or the vision that the believers would have in seeing their Lord on the day of resurrection and Al-Imam Ibn Qudama rahimahullah says in point number 39 that the believers would see their Lord in the next life with their eyes and they would visit him and they would speak to him or he would speak to them and they would speak to him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning this in Surah Al-Qiyamah Chapter 75, verse 22 and 23. The faces on that day will be bright, beaming, and they will be looking towards their Lord. And also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Mufafifun, verse 15, the saying of Allah, Verily, they will be on that day, on the day of resurrection, they will be screened from their Lord. Yani they will be screened from seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this would be the punishment for the disbelievers, while the reward for the believers would be that they would see Allah. Then he says in point number 40, this very point, that when those who Allah is displeased with, that means the disbelievers and the evil people, when they have been screened from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is an indication that the believers who Allah is pleased with would see him. Otherwise, there is no difference between the two. When he says in point number 41, the saying of the Prophet Sallallahu But verily, you will definitely see your Lord just as you see this moon. Yani the moon 
in the sky, the full moon in the sky, in the middle of the night. La tudamuna fi ru'yatihi. And you will not have any difficulty in seeing him. And this is a hadith recorded by Al-Bukhari, a Muslim. In point number 42, Al-Imam ibn Qudamah says, وَهَذَا التَّشْبِيهِ that this is a comparison tashbih between the vision, how you would see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how you would see the moon, that it would be with your eyes and it would be a clear vision. Not a comparison, a tashbih, it is not a tashbih or comparison between that which would be seen. There is no comparison between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and anything in the creation. For verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no comparison, no one equal or similar to him. Then in the shah, the shaykh just mentioned briefly that the vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world is not possible. It's mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-A'raf, chapter 7, verse 143, Lam Tarani. He said to Musa, you will not see me, that is in this world. But the seeing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next slide, it is confirmed in the Quran and Sunnah and consensus of the early generations of the Muslims. And he mentions the proofs that Zainab al Qudana mentioned in the text of the book. Then he says that, uh, that the ijma or consensus of the Salaf, of the early generations of the Muslims, that the believers would see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is for the believers only to the, extent, to the exception or exclusion of the disbelievers and this is based on what is understood from the ayah al-Mutafifun, verse 15, that the disbelievers would be screened from Allah. That means they would not see him while the believers would be rewarded by seeing him. And he said that this seeing of Allah would take place during the events of the resurrection and also they would see Allah once they entered paradise as much as Allah wills. And it is a real vision that should be understood in a way that is suitable or appropriate to the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And finally he said that the Ahlu al-Ta'atil, the people who made Ta'atil or negation or emptying the sifat of Allah of their meaning, they gave explanation of this seeing of Allah. They said it means seeing thawab Allah, that you will see the reward of Allah. And they also said, some of them said that it means that it would be ru'yatul ilm wal yaqeen. It would be a vision of knowledge and certainty. And the Shaykh said, we refute them with that which has been mentioned in the fourth principle of the introduction to the book, uh, that what their interpretation is contrary to the clear text of the Qur'an and Sunnah, and that it is contrary to the minhaj or methodology of the early generation of the Muslims of taking the text literally as they appear to be, and also <coughs> we say to them that they have no proof or evidence, authentic evidence for their interpretation. As for the other interpretation, رُؤْيَةُ الْعِلْمُ yaqeen, that it would be a vision of knowledge and certainty, he said that we refute them with the same refutation and add to it that <coughs> this interpretation is rejected since the ilm, the knowledge, and the certainty, yaqeen, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is achieved by the righteous, by the believers, even in this world, while in the next life it would not be something even denied to the disbelievers. And even the disbelievers will have knowledge and certainty of the matter in the next life before they are punished. Then uh, we went on to the next chapter and we took a few points from the chapter Al-Qadha Wal-Qadr the divine pre-decree and the execution of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed. And we mentioned points number 43 to 46 in which Al-Imam Ibn Qudama mentions that of the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from amongst his characteristics is that he is the one who does whatever he wills. Yani Allah is the doer of whatever he wills. 
also he says that that nothing would happen nothing would take place uh, except by the will of Allah and that nothing is outside or goes outside of the will of Allah and there's nothing in this world that is outside of what Allah has measured or prefixed and nothing can take place except that it is in accordance with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has arranged or fixed and no one can go around or escape from the qadr al-makdur the qadr which Allah has fixed and written nor can anyone go beyond what has been written in Allah al-mahfuz the preserved tablet and whatever Allah wants for the creatures in this world they do it and if Allah had protected them from falling into sin or error then none of them would have disobeyed him and if Allah had willed that all of the creatures obey him and all of them would have obeyed him he created the creation and their actions and he fixed or measured their sustenance and their lifespans and he guides whomever he wills by his hikmah or wisdom according to his wisdom and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions concerning these points that are summarized concerning al-qadr al-qadr in this chapter he mentions the proofs from Surah Al-Anbiya chapter 21 verse 23 that Allah is not questioned about what he does since whatever he does is according to his might and his wisdom no one can question him about what he does uh, while the creatures will definitely be questioned about what they do in this world and also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Qamr chapter 54 verse 49 that verily we have created everything and created it with a fixed measure and the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Furqan chapter 25 verse 2 فَقَدَّرَهُ تَقْدِيرًا that we have created everything and we have measured it with a fixed measure and the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Hadith 57 verse 22 مَا أَصَابَ مِنْ مُصِيبَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ إِلَّا فِي كِتَابٍ مِنْ قَبْلَ أَنْ نَبْرَأَهَا but nothing, no calamity befalls in the earth or in yourselves except that it is already written in a book before we bring it into existence and the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-An'am chapter 7 verse 125 that whoever Allah wills to guide he opens his chest towards Islam and he expands his breast to the acceptance of Islam and whoever Allah wills to lead astray then Allah makes their chest or their breast tight and makes it difficult for them to accept the truth, to accept the guidance. Then he says in point number 44, the report from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that Jibreel alayhi salam said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what is Iman? This is the hadith Jibreel. What is Iman? He said it is to believe in Allah and the angels and the books and the messengers and the last day وَالْقَدَرِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ and the qadr, the divine decree, the good of it and the evil of it and then Jibreel said صَدَقْتَ you have spoken the truth this hadith reported by Imam Muslim Rahimahullah in point number 45 we mentioned the saying of the Prophet وسلم, which actually is, is not considered to be an authentic hadith and unto بِالْقَدَرِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ وَحُلْرِهِ وَمُرِّهِ that I believe in the qadr, the good of it and the evil of it the sweet of it and the bitter of it 
And we said concerning this that the good and the evil, the khayr and the shar of qadr is in reference to the end result. What happens in the end? If that which it ends up with the final result is good, we say this is the khayr of the qadr, even if at the time that the event may have befallen us, it may not have been pleasant or something that we didn't see as being good, but the end result, if it's good, this is the khayr of the qadr. And the shar of the qadr is even if that thing is enjoyable or pleasant at the time that it happens, but if the end result of it is evil, then this is the shar of the qadr. And the hulwihi wa murrihi, the sweetness and the dura of qadr, it refers to at the time that the incident takes place. If it is something pleasant, it is referred to as the sweetness of the qadr, and if it is something unpleasant, as the bitterness of the qadr. Whereas the khayr and the shar refers to the final end result. Then, uh, he says, the last point which we covered was the point number 46, that which has been mentioned in the supplication of the Prophet ﷺ that he taught to Al-Hasan ibn Ali radiallahu anhuna, which he himself used to supplicate by in the qanut of witr. And in that qanut he said, وَقِنِي شَرَّنَا قَضِيت And protect me, O oh Allah, protect me from the evil of the thing which you have decreed. And that thing which Allah decreed, if there is evil in it, protect me from the evil of that thing which Allah has decreed. Uh, here, just one brief point before going on to the points for tonight. Uh, and we did discuss last week in detail, and there's a handout tonight which gives some reference to the four points of Al-Qadr. We said that the faith in Qadr is not complete except by four matters. That is, uh, the first of them is Al-Ilm, that Allah has knowledge of everything, and the second of them is Al-Kitabah, that everything is written. The third of them is uh, Al-Iradah, that nothing happens except by the will of Allah, whatever Allah wills is by His wisdom and justice. And the fourth of them is creation, that Allah has created everything, the creatures as well as the actions. Nothing is outside of the creation of Allah, and Allah is the only creator. There is no creator of good and evil, but there is only one creator, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih mentions, uh, or there is a, a point here that not in the original explanation of the book, but another comment from outside where Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih mentioned concerning this supplication, the supplication that the Prophet used to supplicate by in the Qurut, that he is asking Allah to protect us from the evil that might come out from that which you have decreed. He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed good and he has decreed evil. Khayr wa shar. As for the qada of Allah, yani Allah's actual execution, the execution what Allah has decreed and executed of khayr, it is pure good. Allah's execution of khair, it is pure good. Yani, the, the execution, what Allah executes, as well as the thing that happens, it is good. Meaning, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, decrees that a person has plenty of sustenance. Allah's decreeing that is good. And the thing that he decreed that happens, that the person has plenty of wealth, is also good. Likewise, if Allah decrees that a person has safety, security, peace, guidance, success, all of this 
Allah's action of decreeing it is good and the thing that resulted from his decree is also good. This is from one perspective. This is from the perspective of the khayr which Allah has decreed. The khayr which Allah has decreed, his action of decreeing it is good and the thing that he decreed to happen is also good. As for Allah's decreeing of shar or evil, the decreeing of Allah of evil, his action of decreeing it is khayr, it is good. Because whatever Allah decrees is good. But the thing that may happen that he decreed, the action of decreeing it is good, but the thing that may happen, it is what is referred to as shar. An example of this is drought or famine. Uh, this is something which is looked at as being evil. Allah's decreeing drought to take place or famine in the land, His act of decreeing it is good. But the thing that He decreed, when it happens, it may be looked at by the people as being evil. It is good because even the thing that happens which is harmful or evil, though it may cause harm to the people, but Allah's action of decreeing is good because He decreed it for wisdom, for some benefit, for something good to happen, the end result. And this is what is hinted at in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ظَهَرَ الْفَسَادُ فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِينَ النَّاسِ That al-fasad, corruption, has appeared in the land and in the sea due to what the hands of the people have earned yani due to the actions of the people as a result of their actions al-fasad, corruption, has spread in the land and in the sea the reason for this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is لِيُذِيقَهُمْ بَعْدَ الَّذِي عَمِلُوا لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ The reason for this, that Allah allowed the corruption and fasad to spread in the land and in the sea as a result of the actions of the human being, is that they may taste the result, some of the result of their own actions. يعني, when that bad things happen, corruption, uh, drought, famine in the land, sickness, disease, when these things happen, it is the result of the actions of the human beings. Allah caused this to happen as a result of their actions, and this, for this reason they will, taste, they will taste some pain or suffering, some of the pain of suffering that is the result of their actions. And likewise, not only so that they may taste, some of the result of their actions, but also لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ So that perhaps they will return from their evil behavior and correct themselves and turn back to Allah. So even though the corruption, the famine, the disease that spread in the land is looked at as being evil, but the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in causing that is that when the people taste some suffering and pain as a result of their evil actions, Perhaps it will cause them to reflect on what was the cause of that and they will repent and turn back to Allah and correct themselves. So the end result is good. Although the time of the calamity befallen them, it is looked at as evil. This is the meaning of the qadar of Allah. His action of decreeing it is good because the end result is something good. While the thing when it happens, the famine that he decreed is looked at as being evil. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he decrees something to happen which is evil, it is for good reason. It is for wisdom. Whether it is known to the people or not, it is for wisdom that is known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
for this reason we say that whatever Allah decrees whether he decrees al-khayr, the good, or al-sharr, evil his action of decreeing it is purely good but the result, the action that he decreed or the thing that he decreed it might be good or it might be evil in any case if it is something evil then the purpose of it or the wisdom behind it is to bring about something good this is uh, his comment concerning this point and this is where we left off last week the next point of Imam Ibn Qudam rahimahullah is point number 47 in which he says وَلَا نَجْعَلْ قَضَاءَ اللَّهِ وَقَضَرَهُ حُجَّةً لَنَا فِي تَرْقْ أَوَامِرِهِ وَاجْتِنَاب نَوَاهِهِ that we don't take nor do we make the qadar of Allah Allah's execution of his decree nor that which he decreed we don't take it and use it as a hujjah or a proof or an excuse for us to abandon the commands of Allah or to engage in that which Allah has prohibited and we cannot use this as an excuse saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that I don't pray or Allah decreed that I do evil that I commit sin we cannot say that Allah decreed it and that will be an excuse for us we cannot take Allah's decree nor the execution of his decree as an excuse for engaging in that which Allah has prohibited or for failing to perform that which Allah has commanded us with Allah in the Quran rahimahullah says بَلْ يَجِبْ أَنْ نُؤْمِنَا وَنَعْلَمْ أَنَّ لِلَّهِ عَلَيْنَا الْحُجَّةِ بِإِنْزَالَ الْكُتُبِ وَبِعَثَةِ الرُّسُولِ الرُّسُولِ he said, but in fact, it is obligatory on us that we believe and that we know that the hujjah is actually for Allah against us. The proof, the proof is not for us. There is no excuse for us in the qadr, but in fact, the proof is against us. And that proof is established by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealing the books, the revelations, and by missioning or commissioning the messengers who he sent to warn the people to order them to do good and to prohibit them from evil and this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nisa chapter 4 verse 165 so that there will not be an excuse a hujjah for the people against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they will not have any excuse after the sending or the coming of the messengers because the messengers came for what purpose? to guide the people to command them with that which is good and to prohibit them from that which is evil after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the messengers and the prophets then the people have no excuse they have no excuse because they have been warned they have, made to, been, they have been made to know what is good and what is evil here the Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih mentioned in the explanation of this point that Al-Qadr or the divine decree is not a proof it is not an excuse for the sinner in committing his acts of disobedience to Allah it is not a proof for them and some of them try to argue well it's already decreed it's fixed by Allah we have no choice in the matter we cannot do anything Allah already decreed it and the decree cannot be changed so who are we to blame? But when they commit sins they think that they have an excuse and such the shaykh says that the actions of the people all of the actions whether acts of obedience or acts of disobedience all of it is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we previously mentioned whatever the human beings do, their actions whether obedience or disobedience 
the creatures as well as the actions, all of it is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we said in the four points of Al-Qadr, the fourth point is Al-Khalq, that Allah is the creator of everything and there is no other creator besides Allah. Whatever happens in this universe and whatever exists in this universe is the creation of Allah, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Then he says that since all of these things are the creation of Allah, as we previously mentioned, Nonetheless, this is not an excuse for the sinner in committing the acts of sin, and this is for a number of reasons. There are a number of reasons, or proofs against them, or arguments against them, to show that their reasoning, the excuse that they try to use, that Allah has decreed it, Allah has fixed it, there's nothing we can do, therefore we are not responsible for our actions. He says the first argument against them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has attributed the actions of the individual to themselves. He has made it as their kas. He made it to be that which they earned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that the actions of the person is that which they earned. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attributed the actions to the person, then how can they now deny responsibility for that which he has attributed to them? And this is mentioned in Surah Al-Ghafir, chapter 40, verse 17, saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, الْيَوْمَ تُجْزَى كُلُّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ That today, meaning Yom Al-Qiyamah, every human being, every soul, will be given their recompense. Bina kasabat by what it has earned or for what it has earned. Everyone will be given the recompense. If they did good, they will be given the reward for their good, and if they did evil, they will be given the punishment for their evil, unless Allah forgives them, Allah forgives whomever He pleases. Uh, so here He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attributed the action of the human being as their kaf, as their earnings. Therefore, if the person had no choice in the action, if they were forced to do it, and they had no choice, and they had no power, then how could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have said that this is what they have earned? He said it is what they earned because they chose to do it by their own will and they executed their will with the power that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them to execute their will. The second argument he mentions is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded the people and he has prohibited them. Yani the commandments that came from the prophets and messengers and the prohibitions from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fact that Allah has commanded the people with these commands and prohibited them from certain things, then it is clear to us that Allah would not make the people responsible except that they have the ability to fulfill it. Yani Allah wouldn't order us to do something that we don't have the ability to do. And He wouldn't prohibit us from something that we don't have the ability to avoid. Since Allah ordered us to do it and He prohibited us from it, this is a proof that we have the ability to fulfill those commands and to avoid those prohibitions. And this is what is understood from the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 286, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never makes any person responsible. He doesn't make any person, He doesn't give any responsibility to the people except that they have the ability, they have the capability to fulfill that responsibility. And if Allah requires something of us, He will never require us to do something unless we have the ability to do it. And as we said in the uh, discussion of Al-Aqidah Sahawiyah, Imam Al-Sahawi said that this, that this istita'a is of two types. The istita'a is of two types. One of them is the one that the human being has with him before he does the action. And the physical ability, good health, knowledge, skills, tools, instruments, whatever, that the person possesses to, to do something. This is the istata'a or ability that every person has before they attempt to do the action. The other istata'a is the istata'a that is given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the time that a person attempts to do something. It is what is referred to as a tawfiq. 
the success that comes from Allah, this is something that the person doesn't possess. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives it to whomever He wills at the time that you attempt to do something. Even though you have the means or the skills or the ability or the physical strength to do something, you will never be successful in doing it except that the second istata'ah, the ability that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the tawfiq, except that Allah gives, gives it to you. And that's why some people who have the ability to do something, they have all the means, for example, to make hajj. They have good health, they have wealth, they have transportation, they have time, but yet they don't make hajj. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't give the tawfiq in doing certain things, to people if he doesn't will for them to do it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives the tawfiq. If someone wanted to kill someone, they would not be able to do it, even though they have the power and the ability to do so, except that Allah gives them the istata'a, which is the tawfiq. And that's why some people try to kill someone, but Allah didn't decree it. So it didn't happen, even though they were skilled and capable of doing so, but Allah didn't give them the istata'a, which comes from him, the tawfiq. Also the saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in taqabun, chapter 64, verse 16, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders us to have taqwa, to have fear and consciousness of Allah, according to your ability, to the extent of your ability. Fear Allah, at taqwa it means to obey Allah's commands and to refrain from His prohibition. So He is ordering us here to fulfill the commands which He has given us and to refrain from what He has prohibited us from according to our ability. That means Allah doesn't hold people responsible except according to their ability and He doesn't order us with something we don't have the ability to do nor does He prohibit us except that we have the ability to avoid it. If the people were majboor, if they were compelled or forced to do a certain action, then we cannot say that they have the ability to do that action or to refrain from it. Because the person who is forced to do something has not, does not have the ability to escape from it. The person who is forced to do something has no ability to escape from it. Therefore, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you must fear Allah according to your ability and that Allah doesn't place any responsibility on anyone except according to your ability, this is the proof that you have the ability to do what He has commanded you to do and what He has prohibited you from and therefore you're responsible for it. The third argument that Shaykh mentions that everyone knows the difference between the action which is by choice, ikhtiyari, and the action which you are forced or compelled to do, ijbari. There is a difference between the action which you do willingly of your own choice and the action which you have no choice in the matter but you are compelled or forced to do even though it may not be your will to do so. The first of them, the action which is ikhtiyari, the person has the ability to avoid it if they want to. They may choose to do it or not. But the second of them, the person does not have the ability to escape from the ijbari. And therefore we cannot claim that the things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us with or prohibited us from is from those things which are ijbari. Because if we don't have any ability to escape from it, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot hold us responsible. Therefore, the things that Allah orders us to do and prohibit us from and holds us responsible for are those things which we have the ability to choose and to make a decision about and to execute or to avoid according to our will. The fourth argument that he makes is that the sinner and the one who commits an act of disobedience, before they step forward to commit that act, they don't know what Allah has decreed for them. They have no knowledge. If a person, for example, wanted to commit a crime, they don't know, has Allah decreed for them to do this thing or not? They don't know. For this reason, uh, he has the choice 
and the ability to do it or to leave it. Because we cannot say Allah has decreed that which we have no knowledge of. So we don't know, has Allah decreed it or not? Therefore the person by their own choice, they decide either to do it or to leave it. How can the people choose to do that which is wrong? That which is displeasing to Allah and in disobedience to Him and then say that they did it because it was decreed by Allah, because it was fixed by Allah, while that thing which they did before they did it, before they chose and decided to do it, they had no knowledge had Allah decreed it or not. But it was by their own choice and their using of the power or ability that Allah has given them to execute their will that they engage in that act and therefore they have made the choice to do that which is wrong or that which is sinful or disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wouldn't it be better that the person should choose to do that which is right, to do that which is pleasing to Allah, to do that which is in obedience to Allah, to choose to do that, since we don't know, has Allah decreed for me to make hajj? Has Allah decreed for me to perform the five prayers a day? Has Allah decreed for me to give charity to someone? We don't know, but we choose to do it. And if we attempt to do it, then Allah may give us the tawfiq. And then when we do it, we will know that Allah has decreed it or not. When we do it. But before that, we don't know. So since we don't know, has Allah decreed for us to do something evil or something good, then it is in our ability to choose and to decide to do that which is good. And hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us the tawfiq or the victory of success in implementing that which is good. If a person had the choice, for example, to choose between traveling on two roads. One of those roads is dangerous, difficult and long. The other road which goes to the same place is a short road, a paved road, a safe road and an easy road to travel. Would any sane person choose the long, difficult, dangerous road when both roads lead to the same destination? So likewise, in this world we have the choice to take the road that leads to the pleasure of Allah or the road that leads to the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is our choice to make. And the person who knows that pleasing Allah is the way to paradise, how can they choose the road of displeasure of Allah that leads to his punishment when we know what will be the end result of our actions? And the fifth point that the Shaykh mentioned subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us that he sent messengers in order to remove or to cancel any excuse that the people will have for their actions. That they will say, we didn't know what Allah wanted us to do, or what was pleasing to Allah, we didn't know. So they will have no excuse, so that there will be no excuse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the prophets and messengers to warn the people, to encourage them to do that which is good, and to discourage them from doing that which is evil. And once the prophets and messengers were sent, then the excuse of the people for their actions is removed. They have no excuse. And this is what is understood from the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 165, that there will be no excuse for the people against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after the sending of the messengers. If, in fact, the other or the divine decree was to be an excuse for the person who commits sins, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could not have sinned could not have said that the excuse is cut off by the sending of the messengers. But when he said that the excuse is cancelled, is removed after the sending of the messengers, then this is a proof that qadr cannot be used as an excuse. There will be no excuse for the actions of the people who disobey Allah in Yom Qiyamah. The next point that Al-Imam Ibn Qudam mentions 
in the text of the book is point number 48 where he says that Allah, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not commanded nor has he prohibited except the one who has the ability to do an action or to avoid an action. Allah has not commanded except the person who is mustati'ah, who has the ability to do what Allah has commanded them or to avoid what he has prohibited them. وَأَنَّهُ لَمْ يُجْبِرْ أَحَدًا عَلَى مَعَصِيَةٍ وَلَا اِضْتَرَّهُ إِلَى تَرْقِ طَاعَةٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not compelled or forced anyone to commit ma'afiyah, sins or acts of disobedience. Allah has not forced anyone to commit sins. Nor has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forced anyone to avoid the commission of acts of obedience to him. And this is mentioned in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 286. لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها Not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't hold anybody responsible by commands or prohibitions except that they have the ability to obey those commands and to avoid those prohibitions and this is also mentioned in the saying of Allah that we mentioned previously in Surah At-Taghabun chapter 64 verse 16 So fear Allah or have taqwa of Allah according to your ability as much as you can as much as you have the ability to do and also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ghafir chapter 40 verse 17 اليوم تجزى كل نفس بما كسبت لا ظلم اليوم that today يعني يوم القيامة on that day every soul will be rewarded according to what it has earned and there will be no injustice today يعني on that day the day of judgment also the final statement concerning القضر القضاء is the statement of Imam Ibn Khudam rahimahullah point number 49 فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ لِلْعَبْدِ فِعْلًا وَكَسْبًا يُجْزَى عَلَىٰ حُسْنِهِ بِالثَّوَابِ وَعَلَىٰ سَيِّئِهِ بِالْعِقَابِ وَهُوَ وَاقِعٌ بِقَضَاءِ اللَّهِ وَقَضْرِهِ that these proofs indicate and point to the fact that every person has accredited to them or attributed to them actions and earnings which they will be rewarded for. If they did good, they will get a good reward, and if they did evil, they will get punishment. And all of this, whether they did good or evil, it happens or takes place by Allah's qadr and qadr. Whatever we do, whether good or bad, if we did good, we expect to be rewarded, and if we did evil, we expect to be punished. But all of it, whichever one we do, it doesn't happen except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has fixed it, He has pre-decreed it, and then He caused it to come into being, to be executed, to actually happen. And then the Shaykh says here, in the explanation, the first point of discussion here is the difference or the reconciliation between the fact that the actions of the person is considered to be the creation of Allah, and at the same time, it is considered to be the earnings of the one who does it. The, the actions of a person, it is both the makhluq, the creation of Allah, and it is also the kasb, for the earnings of the person. How do we reconcile these two things? Saying that the person's action, it is Allah's creation. And at the same time, it is the earnings of that person for which they are responsible. 
We already know from what has been mentioned that the actions of every person is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that likewise it is the earning of that person for which he will be rewarded good with good and evil with the like of it. So how do we reconcile between these two points? The Shaykh says that the reconciliation between them is that the way the actions of the person is considered to be the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is for two reasons. Number one, that the action of the person is from his sifat. The actions of the human being are part of his characteristics. That's what he is described by. He is described by his actions. If he did good, then he will be described with good. And if he did evil, he will be described with evil. So the actions of the person is part of their characteristics. And we know for sure that every creature, as well as their characteristics, it is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah is the only creator and everything that exists is part of Allah's creation. The second point is that the actions of the person are the result of their irada qalbiya. It is the result of the will that they have in their heart. The will or the desire to do something. Their action is first the result of their will to do it. The person doesn't do anything unless they have a will or a desire, intention in their heart first to do it. And the second cause or sabab or reason for the person's action is the qudra, badaniya, their physical ability to execute their will. These two things, the will that the person has or the desire to do something and the qudra, the physical ability that they have, these are the two causes for a person's action. If they were not for these two things, you wouldn't have any action. If a person doesn't have a will, and along with that has the ability to execute their will, then they won't be able to do anything. If a person has a will but no power, they cannot do it. If they have power but no will, nothing will happen. But there has to be both of these together, the will and the ability to execute the will in order for any action to take place. The one who created the person's irada, their will, and their qudra, their ability to execute their will, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is the creator of their will and their ability. And, and the one who created the cause of something is also considered to be the creator of the result of that cause. For this reason, the action of the human being being attributed as being a part of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is from the perspective that the cause of a thing or the result is attributed to the cause of it. And the result, the actions of the human being, its ultimate cause is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created their will and who created their ability. Uh, as for the one who actually does the action, we are not concerned here about this because we are looking at the action of the human being as the creation of Allah. No doubt, the one who actually performs the action in reality, it is the person. For this reason, the action of the human being has also been attributed to him as his earnings. It is considered as his kasb because he is the one who actually does the action. Though Allah created his will and created his ability to execute his will, but he uses his will as he wills. He chooses to do what he does and he executes his will by using the ability which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him. And therefore his action is attributed to him as his earnings. So the actions of the human being is attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as being the creation of Allah and according to the decree of Allah. 
and according to the decree of Allah because these two are the primary causes for a person's action and Allah knows best the Shaykh says the other point of consideration or the other point, the matter of importance related to the Qadr al-Qadr is those people who have opposed or contradicted the correct understanding of the belief in Qadr al-Qadr and the refutation of them those who have opposed the truth in this matter are primarily, primarily two main groups for the others, but the two primary groups they are the Jabariyya and the Qadariyya they are the two groups from amongst the Muslims who deviated on this point from the truth and went astray they lost the correct understanding of the Qadr or Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Jabariyya are those who say that the person is majboor is forced to do their actions and they have no choice in whatever they do this is the Jabariyya as for the Qadariyya they are those who say that the human being is independent in their actions and Allah doesn't have any control over it not his will, the will of Allah nor the power of Allah nor the creation of Allah that the human being is completely independent in doing what he does this is the Qadariyya who say that the human being has absolute power and will to do whatever he does independent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala both of these have went to opposite extremes one of them saying the human being has no will which is wrong and the other saying that the human being has absolute will independent of Allah's will and this is also wrong and the correct position is between the two the shaykh says how do we refute them as for the Jabariyya those who say that the human being is forced to do what they will and have no choice in the matter he said the refutation of them is from two perspectives the first of them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has attributed the actions of a human being to himself, to themselves and he has made it their tasf or their earning and he rewards them or punishes them according to what they do he rewards them if they do good and he punishes them if they do evil if the person was really forced to do what they do then how can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how can it be correct for Allah to reward those who do good or to punish those who do wrong since they are forced to do it they have no choice in the matter why should he reward people who do good why should they be given credit when they are only doing what they are forced to do not by their choice it would be ridiculous to say that Allah will reward them when they haven't done anything except what they are forced to do and likewise it would be unjust for Allah to punish people who did evil if they are forced to do what they do secondly he said that every person knows the difference between the action which is by choice and the action where the person is forced to do it if a person commits a crime or an evil act against someone and then claims that I have been forced to do this by the or shoot them or bloody harm to them and say don't blame me I'm much more, I'm forced to do this, I have no choice in the matter. Whoever says such would be definitely considered that he should be taken to the hospital, to an insane house, because no one would accept such. And likewise, the Qadariya, who said that the human being is independent in his actions of Allah's will and Allah's power and Allah's creation, also they have went to the opposite extreme and they have been rejected. And the reputation of them, he said, two points. The first, we say that he is in contradiction. The one who says that human being is independent in his actions, 
that his action is not a result, is not subject to Allah's will, is not subject to Allah's power, nor is it the creation of Allah, then he has contradicted in the clear saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Sulaiman Zumar, chapter 39, verse 62. Allah that Allah is the creator of everything. That means that the actions of the human being, the human beings as well as the actions, Allah is the creator of everything. Therefore nothing is excluded from this, and this is also even more clear in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chapter 37, verse 96. That Allah is the one who has created you and also whatever you are doing. Allah is the creator of the creatures and He is the creator of their actions. Therefore, this is a clear reputation of those who claim that the human beings are the only creators of the actions and Allah has no power over them and He is not the creator of the actions. And likewise, He says the argument against them is that Allah is the one who owns the heavens and the earth. Controls everything in the universe. How can it be that something happened in this universe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Well, He is the Lord over everything and has power over everything in this world. How can anything happen in this world and it is not subject to His will and it is not part of His creation? The final point that Shaykh Muhammad, Allah, Allah protect and preserve, mentioned is the difference between the two types of al And I think we discussed it briefly and there's a handout concerning this uh, matter of the difference between the two types of the will of Allah. There are two types of will, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-Qawmiya, the universal will, and al-Irata, al-Shari'ah. The
the people may do it or they may not do it. Allah wills it means that He loves the people to do it, but He doesn't force the people to do it. This is the irada sharia. The people are not forced to do so. Here the Shaykh says, al-irada al-qawmiyah, it has the meaning of al-mashia. It is the will of Allah that must happen. And this is from the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Anam, chapter 6, verse 125, That whoever Allah needs, whoever Allah wills, this is uh, Allah's universal will. Whoever He wills to guide that person, then He will open their chest towards Islam. They will definitely, it will definitely happen. When Allah wills someone to be guided, they will definitely be guided. This is Allah's universal will. And likewise, وَمَنْ يُرِدْ أَيُّذِلَّهُ يَجْعَلْ خَضْرَهُ لَيْكَمْ حَرَجًا And when Allah wills to lead them astray, then He will make their heart tight. And it will be constrained so that they will not be able to turn towards the guidance and accept the truth. When Allah wills that a person be guided, He opens their heart towards the truth. And when He wills that they go astray, He closes their heart and constrains it and restrains it so that they will not accept the truth. This is Al-Mashiach, the will of Allah that must happen. Whether it is good, accepting the guidance, or bad, rejecting it. Both of them come under Allah's universal will. Those things which must happen, though it may be what Allah is pleased with or what Allah is displeased with. As for the Iraq al-Shari'iyah, he said, it, it has the meaning of al-Mahabba. It means the legal or legislative will, it means al-Mahabba. It means those things that Allah loves, that Allah is pleased with. And this is included in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 27, Wallahu yuridu ayyatubah alaykum. That Allah wants, Allah wills, that He turn to you in repentance, that He accepts your repentance. That Allah, He will, He wants that you will turn, that you will repent to Him and He will accept your repentance. He wills this. This is Al-Muhabba. He loves it. Allah loves that you repent and that He accepts your repentance. Allah loves this. But the people may repent or they may not repent. It may or it may not happen. This is included under the irada. Wallahu yureed. Allah wills means that He loves that this thing be done. This is al-irada al-shari'iyah, it is what Allah has legislated, it is what Allah loves and is pleased with. Then the shaykh closes saying that the difference between these two, al-irada al-qawmiyah, the universal will, and the irada al-shari'iyah, the legal or legislative will, the difference between them is that the universal will, in its case, the thing which Allah intends, it must happen. But it is not a necessity that Allah loves it or is pleased with it. It is not a necessity that He loves it or is pleased with it. It may be of things He loves and it may not be. As for the Iraq al-Sha'iyah, the legal will, it is a necessity that it has to be from the things that are loved by Allah. Only what Allah loves and is pleased with, but it is not a necessity that it will actually take place. It may or it may not take place. This is the end of what the Shaykh says concerning this matter. Uh, I don't know what time it is now, if it's possible to go to the next chapter. How much time it is? 7.30? Hmm. Perhaps there's not enough time. So maybe we'll take a couple of points. The next chapter is the chapter, or better than that, probably what's more, what's better, we may, maybe we should look at the questions concerning the Qala uh, the questions concerning points number 47 to 49. Number one, how can we refute the sinner who excuses himself by saying Allah decreed my actions? 
What can we say to such a person who commits sins and then say it's Allah's qadr? There are many reputations that the Shaykh mentioned. One of them, we said that the person doesn't know what Allah has decreed before it happens. So you cannot say that you did evil because it was, because it was Allah's decree. At the time when you didn't know what Allah decreed, you chose to do evil. Therefore, you're responsible for your actions. Another argument against them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent messengers with commands and prohibitions. And Allah doesn't command us to do good or to avoid evil except that we have the ability to do so. And if we didn't have the ability to do so, it wouldn't make sense for them to order us or to prohibit us. This is the proof that the human being is not forced or compelled but that we have free will in doing whatever we do. And there are other arguments. The second question, how can we answer the one who says the commands and prohibitions in Islam are too many and too difficult to observe? What can we say to someone who says Islam is too difficult? Especially the Muslims who don't fulfill their obligations and they say it's too difficult. What can we say to them? Now, Allah says that He doesn't require of the people anything beyond their ability. Allah doesn't call the people responsible with anything that is beyond their capacity or their ability. So whatever Allah is required of us, it is within our ability to do so. But even the special circumstances, the Sharia has allowed certain facilities, such as the person who is traveling is allowed to combine their prayers, and the person who is sick also is allowed to pray if they cannot stand to pray sitting or pray lying down and so on. The excuses or the facilities that Allah has made in difficult circumstances so that even the person who is sick is still required to fulfill the obligations upon them but with the facility of the ease that Allah has made in the shayat. Number three, how can we reconcile the apparent contradiction between the saying Allah is the creator of the creatures and their actions? and the fact that the people are responsible for what they do. If Allah is the creator of the creatures and Allah is the creator of our actions, how are the people held responsible for what they do? How can we reconcile between these two apparent contradictions? Now, now, Allah Allah gave us the choice, He gave us the will to choose what we want to do and the ability to execute our will. Therefore, whatever we choose to do, we are held responsible for it. This is the proof that the human being is accountable for his actions, that you have a will to choose and the ability to execute your will, to do what you decide to do. Now, it is also attributed to Allah as the creation of Allah because Allah is the one who created our will and Allah is the one who created our ability to execute our will. Therefore, the primary cause for a thing, that the result may be attributed to the primary cause. Allah is the primary cause for our actions and that He gave us the ability and the will to do whatever we do. After guiding us and showing us what is right and wrong and warning us with the hellfire of disobedience and the paradise for obedience, then He gave us the ability to choose which way we want to go. Number four, what are the two main deviations Concerning the belief and al-qadr. The Jabariya and the Qadariya. The Jabariya are those who, who said that the human beings are forced to do the actions, they have no choice in the matter. And the Qadariya are the opposite. Those who say that the human being has absolute free will. And the correct opinion is that the human being is not forced to do what they do. Nor do they have total independence or complete independent will, but the human being has limited free will. But the will of the human being is subject to the will of Allah. So 
So the correct opinion is the middle course of and the scholars of Islam say that the way of Alice and Mujah is the middle course. The middle course in Al-Qadr al-Qadr is between these two deviations and the middle course in Al-Amna wal-Iyat is that the believers should never give up complete, should never give up hope of Allah, nor should they feel safe from the punishment of Allah. But between these two, we should fear Allah's punishment and hope for His mercy and so on. Number five, what are the two types of irada so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explain briefly? The irada al-qawmiya, the universal will, and irada shar'iya, the legal or legislative will. What is the difference between these two? The universal will is something that must happen. The universal will is something that must happen. Where is the legal will? It may or may not happen. That's the first point. The difference between them on this point is that the universal will, it must happen. Where the legal will, it may or may not happen. And the second point between them is that... Huh? Now, it is, okay, it means the other, it means it has to happen, Allah has to create it happen. But also, whether or not Allah loves these actions. The universal will, it may include that which Allah loves and that which He does not love. What He is pleased with or not pleased with. Where the legal will, only includes what Allah loves or what Allah is pleased with. That is the primary difference between the two. The next chapter, Karimah ibn Qudamah, maybe we'll take just some of the points. It is uh, concerning al-Iman, qawl wa'ama. That al-Iman, conviction or faith, it also includes actions and deeds. It is not just a belief or conviction that somebody has in their heart. They say, I have faith in my heart. I believe. They don't pray. They don't fast. They don't do anything that Allah ordered. But they just said, my iman is in my heart. But the Ahl Sunnah said that iman is not only a conviction in the heart, but it's also speech. And it's also including actions. Here Imam Ibn Qudam says in point number 50, well, iman qawlun bil insan wa amalun bil arkan that Iman is speech on the tongue, that it is actions by the body parts or the limbs, and it is a conviction in the heart. These three things, the heart and the tongue and the body parts are included, as what he said, it increases by acts of obedience and decreases the acts of disobedience. Then he says in point number 51, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in Surah Al-Bayna, chapter 98, verse 5, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُ اللَّهِ مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينِ حُنَفَاءِ وَيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ وَيُؤْتُ الزَّكَاةِ وَذَلِكَ دِينُ قَيِّمًا that they, that they have not been ordered except to worship Allah. That the people have not been ordered except to worship Allah. How? مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينِ Sincerity with ikhlas. Yani giving their devotion and their ibadah to Allah alone. Al-ikhlas. It means to worship for Allah alone and to give your worship only to Allah. Hunafa means to be upright, to be inclined towards the truth and to be inclined away from falsehood and to establish the prayers and to give the charity and that is the straight or right being. Here he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse has made the worship, the ibadah, he has made it uh, ikhlaq of the heart, 
the sincerity of the heart and the performance of prayers and giving of charity, he said that all of these things, the worship of Allah, the sincerity in the heart and the performance of deeds, all of this is part of the deen of Allah. All of this is Allah's deen. The ikhlas is the actions of the heart and the salat and zakat and other such things are the actions of the limbs. So that these both are included as part of the deen. In point number 52 he says, وَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَالْإِمَانِ بِدْعًا وَسَبْعُونَ شُعْبًا That al-Iman says, it is 70 some odd branches. أَعْلَاهَا شَهَادَةُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَدْنَاهَا إِمَاثَةُ الْأَذَى that the highest point of this Iman it has more than 70 something branches. The highest of it is the testimony of La ilaha illallah. That nothing has the right to be worshipped except Allah. It is speech, shahada. It is the saying of La ilaha illallah. It is the highest branch of Iman. The lowest of it is removing something harmful from the way. It is actions, removing something from the road. So this is the proof also in this hadith of the Prophet reported by Imam Muslim Allah on the authority of Abu Hurairah that Iman has many branches and of its branches is speech. The saying of La ilaha illallah is the highest of Iman and of its branches is actions, removing something harmful from the road. So speech and actions are also part of Iman. Then he says in point number 53, فَجَعَلَ الْقَوْلُ وَالْعَمَلُ مِنَ الْإِمَانِ That here Allah the Prophet has made the speech and actions in part of Iman وَقَالَ تَعَالَ And Allah Taala says in Surah Al-Tawbah chapter 9 verse 124 فَذَادَتْهُمْ إِمَانًا Then they have been increased or it caused them to increase in their Iman Their Iman was increased And also the saying of Allah لِيَزْدَادُوا إِمَانًا So that they would have increased in their Iman. In Surah Al-Fat, chapter 48, verse 4. Then he says, in point number 54, the hadith of Anas which is recorded in both Al-Bukhari and Muslim, the saying of the Prophet يَخْرُجُوا مِنَ النَّاقِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَفِي قَلْبِهِ مِثْقَالَ بُرَّةٍ أَوْ خَرْدَلَةٍ أَوْ ضَرَّةٍ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ That all of those people will remove from the fire whoever said La ilaha illallah that nothing has the right to worship except Allah while having in their heart even a يعني, the amount of Iman equal to a seed of wheat or equal to a mustard seed or equal to a zabra يعني, which some people translate as Adam and some of the scholars say that zabra in the old time before they knew what it was an Adam they, they said that Zabra was a small ant. An ant, 100 of them, the weight of 100 together didn't equal to the weight of a seed, a mustard seed. So he said that whoever had even this amount of Iman, that they would be taken out of the hellfire. Here, he said, فَجَعَلَهُ مُتَقَابِلًا That is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the Iman in ranks or degrees or levels. And some of the people have more or less, but even those who have the least of Iman in their heart, if they said, La ilaha illallah, they died testifying to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He is unique and alone in His right to be worshipped and other, the other aspects of Tawheed, whoever testified to that, while saying it on their tongue and having even the least of Iman in their heart, then even though they may be in the hellfire for their sins or their lack of performance of obligations, but they would be taken out of the fire eventually. Here the Shaykh says concerning these points in his explanation that Al-Iman linguistically it means tasdeeq. 
to affirm something or to confirm it. But in the technical meaning, it means speech on the tongue, actions by the body part, and conviction in the heart. An example of speech is the saying of La ilaha illallah. An example of actions is making a ruku, bowing. And an example of conviction is in the heart. It is having faith in Allah and the angels. And other than that, of those things which we are obligated to believe in. The proof of this, that it is Iman, is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we mentioned in Surah Al-Bayyina, chapter 95, verse 5, that you have not been ordered except to worship Allah, having sincerity for Him and the Deen, being upright, performing the prayers, paying the zakat, and that is, that is Deen Al-Qayyimah, that is the straight religion. So here He has made Al-Ikhlaq, and He has made Salat and Zakat from the Deen. Yani, the action of the heart of sincerity, and the actions of the limbs of Salat and Zakat, all of this is part of the Deen. And also the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, that Iman has 70-something odd branches, the highest of it is Shahada, the testimony of Allah and Allah, and the lowest of it is removing something harmful from the road. And in the expression of Imam Muslim, he said, فَأَفْضَلُهَا قَوْلُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ yani, The best of Iman is the saying of La ilaha illallah, and this hadith is contained, the origin of this hadith is in uh, the Sahihin al-Bukhari and Muslim. Then he said that Iman increases by obedience and decreases by disobedience, and this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Tawbah, chapter 9 verse 124, so that, that's when Iman, then it increased in Iman, and the saying of Allah in Surah Al-Imran, Chapter 3, verse 173, فَذَاتَهُمْ إِمَانًا So he increased them, or he increased them in Iman. And also in Surah Al-Fatih, chapter 48, verse 4, لِيَزَّادُوا إِمَانًا مَعَ إِمَانِهِمْ So that they will be increased in Iman, I mean Iman, faith, along with the Iman that they already had. Their faith, their faith was decreased, uh, increased. And here, uh, also, there's another hadith recorded in Al-Bukhari, uh, the brief version of this hadith, the expression in the Bukhari was Al-Iman Bid'ah was siftun ashraq The Iman is sixty-something branches Wal-Hayahu shu'batun min al-Iman And Marifti is a branch of Iman And Marifti also is an action of the heart It's a consciousness that the person has of being Marifti Then the Shaykh says in closing The final point that he makes That the, Prophet, the statement of the Prophet وسلم, That whoever uh, says La ilaha illallah and has in the heart even the iman equal to a wheat, a seed of wheat or mustard seed or a zarra if you say that at least around iman after saying La ilaha illallah that they will be taken out of the fire this hadith reported by al-Bukhari uh, a similar narration of this here in this hadith he said that the Prophet made from this hadith he indicated to us that iman is of levels or degrees they are not all the same so if it is confirmed that Iman may increase then also it is confirmed that Iman may decrease because it is expected that wherever there is the possibility of increase then the thing that something has been increased upon is considered to be less than it and it is decreased and if something can be increased then before it was less and now it became more so here he said this is the proof that Iman it has the potential either to increase by doing good deeds and it has the potential to decrease by doing acts of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and here there are a couple of questions um, I don't know what did I do with the questions does anybody have the questions in front of them? are there any questions for this section? Huh? what is the question? 
what is the comprehensive definition of Iman? What did we say is the definition of Iman? Now, conviction in the heart, speech on the tongue, and actions of the body, and also it increases and decreases. Increases by obedience and decreases by disobedience. Question number seven, what is the highest and lowest branch of Al-Iman? The highest branch of Iman is the testimony. Sincere testimony of La ilaha illallah. Testifying to the uniqueness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the lowest branch is removing something harmful from the road. And these things, the saying of La ilaha illallah, continuously should be on the tongue of the Muslim. It is a rewardable act of ibadah. It is an act of worship. And likewise, we should remove harmful things from the road. We should practice this. This is a branch of Iman. It is an exhibition of your faith that you remove harmful things from the road. Give a talk that Al-Iman includes both actions and speech. One of the proofs that it includes actions and speech is the hadith, which we mentioned that Iman has 70-something branches or 60-something branches according to one of the narrations of Bukhari. And the highest of it is the statement, is speech, La ilaha illallah, and the lowest of it is an action, the removal of something from the road. Also, the verse in Quran in Surah Al-Bayyinah that we have, that Allah is not over us except to worship Him, Mukhlifina Lahuddin, having ikhlaq. Ikhlaq is something of the heart. And also to perform the prayers in zakat, and these are actions of the limbs. So these are both proofs that actions and speech are part of iman. How can someone cause the iman to increase? Now, by good deeds, by making extra prayers, by fasting extra fast, by being truthful, by helping those who need help, by being just and fair and truthful, by fulfilling the obligations and the trust that Allah has given to us, and so on. All of the good deeds, the actions of obedience to Allah, increase our iman. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك. Any comments or corrections or questions? The two moments remaining. إن شاء الله. The sixth is family question. You can send them over quickly. The sixth is family question. You can send them over. Is it possible to? Bad deeds? Yes. To remove it means to stop it from happening? To stop it from happening? <laughs> anyway, the subject of the color of Allah we discussed in detail in the explanation of the Aqil Tahawiyah. And we said then that the Prophet said an authentic hadith that nothing can push back the khabar what Allah has decreed except dua. Except dua. And we said that the meaning of this that a person supplicating to Allah to prevent some harmful thing from happening to them, it is true. But the meaning of it is the khabar which Allah has written in the Lawd al-Mahfuz. It is preserved and it, will, it is already written in that khabar that that person will supplicate to Allah and something that was going to befall them, Allah will accept their supplication and remove it from them. It doesn't mean that the original qadr and qadr has changed, but it means the qadr that is for that day. 
that is for that day, it may be changed. The angels, they are aware that something is going to happen in this day or in this time, but Allah may have written in the love of Mahfur, which is known only to him, that that person is going to supplicate to him to protect them from such a thing, and therefore that harm will be repulsed from them. This is the meaning that nothing holds back or push back the divine decree except dua. This is the meaning of Allah says. So that if, if Allah accepts your supplication, if you supplicate to Allah to prevent some harm from coming to you, and you supplicate sincerely, then Allah will accept your supplication. The Prophet some said that no believer supplicates to Allah except that Allah will definitely answer them. In one of three ways. Either Allah will give them immediately that which they ask for, or Allah will prevent some harm from falling on them that was equal to what they asked for, or Allah will store good deeds for them in the next life according to that which they ask for now. So if a person has seen some harm or ill going to befall them and they ask Allah to protect them from it, Allah may protect them from it. Or Allah may give them something good in exchange for it. Allah may reward them in the next life for whatever they were subjected to. The calamity that they tell them, if they bear it patiently, then Allah will reward them in the next life for the patient for what has befallen them. Yani Allah may prevent it if He wills, or Allah may allow it to happen. But if Allah allows that thing to befall them, then Allah will reward them. Because if Allah intended in His universal will for this thing to happen, it will happen. But it is for wisdom. And that wisdom might be that Allah allows the believers especially to be subjected to some harm or difficulty or hardship or pain or suffering or calamity or sickness in order to remove their sins in this world so that they will not be accountable for it in the next life. It is by Allah's mercy that our sins or calamities that, we be, that befall us, if we are patient in it, that our sins will be removed for it. Because the Prophet said that the believer doesn't suffer any hardship, difficulty, anxiety, pain, even to the prick of a thorn, except that Allah removes by it some of their sins. So if Allah allows that calamity to befall them, it is for wisdom. It is because Allah wants to remove our sins for us so that we will not be called to account on Yom Qiyamah when the accounting will be severe. It is from Allah's mercy. Please. <laughs>